Welcome to For the Love of Dogs with Dennis Wolf. And welcome to For the Love of Dogs with Janice Wolf. It's been a really interesting week with all this snow in the Northeast, and I've gotten more people, probably than ever, who've said to me, hey, Janice, my dog all of a sudden is, is peeing blood, or my dog's you know, poop is really strange or whatever. And it's not that it just happens, but you, you know, everybody's got to realize you've got to take care of our dogs, right? So the problem is, normally when your dog urinates or defecates, Maybe, you know, defecating because you have to clean it up if you live in the city or you're walking your dog. Hopefully you do. But especially when they're urinating, you typically don't see what color it is. So this is a big health issue. And it's not that the dog is suddenly doing it, but it's the fact that there's white snow and now you're suddenly seeing it. So what I tell people to do is, you know, every, let's say, week or two, uh, take a couple of paper towels, just, you know, white, plain old paper towels. Please don't use the ones that have the pattern in it. But if you're able to just take a couple of paper towels, lay them down as your dog is urinating or at, right after he does or she does, because then if the dog has any kind of bladder, or kidney, or urinary issues, you are then seeing it. And it's not that, well, there's a snow and now my dog is all of a sudden sick from the snow. You have to look at cause and effect, of course, but the fact that I won't get a phone call for months and then we have a heavy snow or, or a light snow and people will call me and say, oh my gosh, I didn't know my dog is all of a sudden peeing blood. Well, the dog might have been doing that for weeks or months. And that's not something that you should um, kind of just let go. So I do suggest that either uh, something white or even a, a pee pad. Um, is a real handy thing to have for those of you who have dogs that don't use pee pads. You can use paper towels. But apparently, you know, when we get a good snow, everybody's worried that all of a sudden their dogs are allergic to snow or something's going on. Um, So don't think of it that way, but just let's be proactive instead of reactive. Reactive means, uh uh-oh, there's a problem. Proactive is preventing the problem and catching it, if there is one, right away. And that's really, really, really important. Okay, so as a little nuance for that, snow issues. What are some other things that happen to our dogs or with our dogs when it's cold out? Well, sometimes dogs will eat snow. Uh, You know what they used to say, Charlie Brown peanuts characters, right? Never eat yellow snow. Uh, But sometimes dogs will eat some pretty disgusting things and pretty strange things. Sometimes it's from nutrition. Some dogs will eat snow and then they'll vomit it up. Sometimes the dogs will be very stressed when the snow plow comes by or with people walking around, especially now with COVID, everybody's got masks on and, you know, different, uh, you know, helmets and hats and heavy clothing. And they've got metal snow, snow shovels, which look kind of strange, looks kind of like the Grim Reaper walking around with a snow shovel. So you have to really look at that. And from a behavioral standpoint, you definitely want your dog to be calm, confident, kind of feeling that you're in control, you're taking care of things. So what do you do uh, if you're like my one of my newest clients who just uh, let me know that a, a dog had bitten? Um, I had actually witnessed the incident, uh, originally just happened to be in the right place at the right time, saw the dog bite somebody. And now we find out, well, it's not just one dog. 
fight uh, or one person who is bitten. It's uh, a whole bunch of people. And that's a problem because once you have uh, a lot of people who are, um, you know, not really uh, aware of what they should and shouldn't be doing uh, with dogs, you can have issues. So what do you do when you find out that, oh, this dog is bitten for other people? Well, one of the things is the laws are different. Think about it that if you never knew your dog was aggressive, you never had this, it was a random thing, something happened, or maybe the dog didn't bite, but he jumped and he caught somebody when he was jumping. Um, and that happens a lot with these like doodle mixes, these poodle things that we have, because they're very exuberant, um, especially the lab poodle mixes, golden poodle mixes, and pretty much most of them. They're very, very hyper. They tend to be hyper. Not that every one of them is, but the vast majority. And I'm a canine behaviorist for, well, since I'm 19. And I'll leave it alone as to how many years that is. But it's it's a few years. Um, but what happens is these dogs can be the best dogs in the world. I'm not saying everyone is aggressive. Certainly they're not. And there are many of them that are very sweet. I mean, some of them are smart. Some of them not so smart. But one of the habits that these dogs tend to have is they tend to jump up a lot. So if you have a dog who jumps up and let's say is a puppy and mouthy um, and he's jumping up and he jumps up and he catches a little child in the face or catches somebody's arm or breast or whatever, um, you're going to have potentially a lawsuit. Now, the first time it happens, yes, there's still liability, but the second time, the third time, the fourth time, the tenth time, certainly you had fair warning and the, the in the eyes of most uh, laws in most states and, and municipalities, um, that is considered prior knowledge. So if you don't know that the dog has an issue and it happens, now you do know. So if your dog chased the mailman down the uh, front steps and that was the first incident ever, but now it happens again with the FedEx man, well, now you are aware of it and now it's a different level of liability in many, many states. Um, but you have to look at it more seriously. You should take anything seriously because if something happens, it's like if your brakes went out when you were driving and all of a sudden you go, oh, okay, well, my brakes didn't work. I don't know why. All right. Well, hopefully it'll never happen again. Well, now the brakes go out and you kill a pregnant mother. Oh, that's good. That's good. But you knew the brakes weren't working. So now because you had prior knowledge, of the potential issue that that was, you know, uh, in existence at that time, well, suddenly, mm, now it's a whole different story. So we want to keep your dog safe. We want to keep you safe. We want to just enjoy our dogs. We don't want to have people who are running around suing each other, but there are certain things that have to be handled. So what are those things and how do we handle it? Okay. Well, first of all, Weather can change the way dogs feel. Dogs can have health issues. Um, some dogs will actually end up almost giving themselves urinary tract infections and bladder issues because they hold their urine because they don't want to go outside. Well, listen, you know, there's I've got these giant Rhodesian Ridgebacks. Uh, they're still, when they're walking around, it's mid-body on them. We've got a two and a half feet of snow here. So rather than saying, oh, yeah, well, well, we'll let him out. He doesn't have to go now. It's the same thing as if you hold it too long, you can potentially give yourself 
a urinary tract infection. So dogs can do the same thing, or they come in and they have an accident. So a handy little ditty for this is, it's real simple, go snow shovel a little area. You don't have to do the whole yard, but shovel an area, maybe, oh, 10 by 10, and let the dog go out and clean it up. And then you can even pack a little bit of snow on top of the area he urinates or she urinates. And, and clean up the, the feces, and then you can put a little snow there so that it'll keep the, the dog from saying, ooh, I don't want to go here again, but the smell will be there, just that he won't be stepping in urine. And then this way, you can always shovel another little area. Um, you can put, you know, pee pads down outside as well, although obviously with snow, that can they can get pretty wet pretty quickly. But the idea being, if your dog goes outside and you have a corgi or you have a chihuahua and you expect him to go outside in the snow, he can't. Um, also, the very cold temperatures. Um, just imagine if um, when I'm, I'm going to try not to get too graphic here, but this is probably going to be one of those things you're going to want to uh, keep your kids away from when you hear the show. Um, you know, let's just face it, but especially you men, just imagine you had a squat down in the snow to relieve yourself. Okay. Is that enough said? Okay. So just think about that for a minute. Even if you want to go and you have to go, boy, oh boy, you know, when your, uh, your girls down there start, uh, you know, kind of hitting the, the, the cold, wet <laughs> snow, uh, you know, you're probably not going to have to go anymore. And that happens with dogs as well. So what you want to do is shovel a little area or flatten it out as best as you can so that your dog has a place to go to the bathroom. It's enough already that it's cold out, but if he can't actually just physically get comfortable enough to go to the bathroom, he's not going to. Then he's going to either hold it in if he's a really good dog or she's a really good dog. But the other thing is if they get a urinary tract infection or bladder infection, and especially if your dog has like struvite crystals or, or bladder stones, things like that, um, you definitely want them to keep flushing their kidneys and flushing their body of all the toxins. So do it. What's the problem? Just do it. So shovel a little bit. Keep an eye on your dog. Uh, make sure your dog is drinking enough. Um, if your dog is not a big drinker, it's not a problem. I mean, my Ridgebacks are not very big drinkers. They come from South Africa. And, uh, you know, it's hot, but they're used to it. They, so they're not big drinkers. So what I'll do in the winter particularly to make sure that they're drinking enough, I make homemade uh, chicken soup uh, for them. I make their, their chicken and I keep the chicken soup um, from that has the carrots and has sweet potatoes. It has kale, spinach. I do all organic for them, not for me. Uh, can't afford it for me, but I can afford it for the dog. And I'll take all that and then the, the stock, which has little pieces of carrots and things in it, I'll keep that. And I'll use some of that, put a little bit of hot water in it, and just pour it over their food so they've got a little bit of water or liquid in their food. That way, especially with the little dogs who don't tend to drink enough, because otherwise dogs will get, guess what, constipated. Um, most people don't drink a lot in the winter. We drink a lot in the summer because it's evaporating, but it's still we're still sweating it out. It's still coming out through our breathing when we're exhaling, through cellular respiration. Same thing with dogs. So make sure your dog is drinking enough because a dog who isn't 
going to the bathroom and isn't urinating frequently enough, that can actually be a sign that he's, his kidneys are having issues. And in the winter, a lot of dogs who would not have had issues otherwise, but now it's cold, they're not drinking a lot, a lot of these dogs can end up with serious kidney issues and even kidney failure. So it's always a good idea. I'm big on taking your dog to your veterinarian. Get your dog to the veterinarian. Um, it's, it's not going to hurt you if, you know, about this time in the winter, you know, January, end of January, early February, if you uh, get a what they call either senior panel, senior profile, junior profile, um, depending on the age of the dog, and let them check your dog's kidney values. Um, it's, you know, whatever it costs, $100, $200, it sounds like a lot of money, but budget for it, or if you have that for your insurance, make sure you get a uh, pet insurance. You know, this way, at least whatever you're doing there, and you're going to be, uh, you know, obviously figuring out what you need to do, um, once you can at least make that determination that, you know, here you are, and you've got this um, ability to get your dog the best of the best of the best, do a kidney function, a liver function test, because winter is a time that when we're not hydrating and we're not flushing toxins from our bodies, and same thing with dogs. So that is something that everybody should consider. You should absolutely think about that. And if you can't, um, you know, afford to do that, then, you know, check to see if maybe there's a wellness program. Some of the veterinary places will, um, you know, offer a good discount. But, you know, let's say it's $200 and you're doing it twice a year. So it's $400 a year. So if you break that down, it's like $36 roughly, I think, $36, $34 a month. Save $34 a month. That's like, what, $7, It's $8. It's not quite $9 a month, a week. Save that money up. Get your dog what it needs. And I'm not talking about a normal, you know, puppy necessarily, but um, if you start noticing that your dog is, you know, maybe it's a little lethargic or it, you notice it's not urinating or defecating for, um, as frequently as normal, it, a lot of times it can be that the dog is a bit dehydrated. And when the dog is dehydrated, there's not enough fluid and moisture in uh, not only for it to urinate, which it's going to have to do anyway, so it'll just take it from its body cells, but also defecating. That's why sometimes in uh, people who are dehydrated have a, a difficult time. They get very constipated. So, you know, be aware that, you know, your dog, especially in this kind of weather, needs to, um, you know, have the ability to, um, you know, hydrate itself sufficiently so that you don't have issues. And I think that's a really important part of this is just make sure that your dog is healthy and doesn't have those issues. I hate hearing from people that, oh, I just went to the vet. They're crying. My dog is in kidney failure. I didn't even know. Well, now you know. Okay. So uh, talking about a little bit more about physical things in this weather is injuries. Okay. Can't tell you how many people, even just our service dogs uh, that we have provided to people through the years, uh, people call me and they say, hey, hey, Janice, we have a problem. The dog came in with a cut. We don't know where the cut is, so you know where it came from. And that does happen a fair amount of the time because, yes, they can get cut on ice. They can get cut on other things. But what happens, even little things like you put up a new fence, especially a deer fence, or your dog is walking somewhere 
and you can't see it now because it's buried or it's against the wall, the dog runs by it. And uh, I know I had a, a fence put up and uh, Mike did a great job putting it up. But, you know, there there's always those little pieces of those zip ties and, you know, a screw or a nail or something that's sticking out somewhere. So make sure that if you see that your dog goes out and has an injury, um, you know, scour your yard and maybe even get an X pen, the letter X, X pen or some kind of a, a small area that you can use for your dog so it doesn't go out and re-injure itself again. Uh, the key is make sure that you keep a safe area like we would child-proof or puppy-proof a house. You got to child-proof or puppy-proof your yard or the little area in which you go. Um, another thing is obviously if um, you have a dog uh, who you're letting out, when you if you have a home and especially if it has older windows or it's a very windy or tough kind of a day, well, sometimes what will happen obviously again is you'll have, um, you know, broken glass, a broken window. I've had that happen. Um, my house is from 1863. It's a gorgeous French Victorian, and it's huge. And, you know, there's like, I don't know, 78 windows, I think we counted one day. So if you say how many windows there are, well, guess what? If it's a windy day, I'll go outside, and I will look to make sure that all the windows are still there uh, because we have some really cool older windows. Um, so you have to make sure that there's nothing there. Also, just from wind, wind can blow a, a tree down. There could be a sharp piece of a stick or a branch sticking out. There can be your neighbor's, you know, whatever that had a razor blade in it that blew down there because it was in, in a big piece of plastic or a box or something. So just after a storm, go outside and before you let your dog play, just give a little quick um, eyeball of it. Make sure that there's nothing there that could potentially harm your animal or your kids when they go outside. Uh, some other things that happen with the this kind of weather, dogs eating snow. Go back to that. Eating snow drops the body temperature and drops the, the temperature of the stomach. So it can actually cause, well, with horses, it can cause what we call tying up, which is actually when the muscles, if, if you're working your horse hard and then it's cold or, or cooler and the horse is wet, it can actually cause them. It's like basically think of the horse shivering and uh, tightens up its whole, um, you know, t- tightens up its whole belly. And once the dog feels that, um, they get like tying up. The muscles almost get like so cramped that it's a problem. Well, the same thing can happen to the dog's stomach and he can get colicky, which we call bloat, right? And the stomach can, uh, can be a problem, uh, with the whole digestive tract because it gets, it gets cold. It's not normal for the inside of the dog to be, you know, 32 degrees, you know, lots of 32 degree snow, um, that's going into his body. So again, just make sure that you're really careful. And you don't let the dog eat too much snow. And another thing in the cities, or if you're on a main road or you're walking, not only do you have to make sure your dog isn't chowing down on um, snow that might have road salt or other chemicals in it, even just the diesel fuel that spews off uh, from a truck when it goes by, like on the side of a highway, after a few days, you know, you think about the snow that used to be white, and it's now like this really odd 
petroleum color, well, don't let your dog eat it. And just be aware, you know, if you, you're, you're the steward of your dog. You're the shepherd of your dog, right? Even if it's not a German shepherd, it's a, it's a dog. And you've got to be very careful to make sure that the, uh, the dog isn't going to be, um, you know, having a situation where he's eating something, ingesting something, and then you might not even know what he's eating. Uh, Dogs who have very fluffy coats, be careful because the dog comes in and you're wiping his paws down. Go all the way up, check to make sure that there's nothing up in the pad. Uh, And I'm not talking about on the outside, on the top. I'm looking at underneath. Because underneath, especially if you have a fluffy dog, and it, whether it's a doodle or a, you know, some kind of designer dog, or it's a lab, or it's a, you know, old English sheepdog, or whatever it is, make sure that you check between the toes on the underside to make sure there's nothing stuck there. There's no balled up snow or ice, also in the armpits typically, and the underside of the dog. I had a Scottish Terrier all the time growing up. My brother and I had Scotties. We, my dad loved Fala, who was uh, Roosevelt's dog, and my father got us two Scotties one one at a time as we were growing up. And I did all the grooming and I did all the um, the clipping of the dog to make sure that he looked like a Scotty. And um, I remember, and you know, sometimes in the winter he'd be running around outside, and I would be soaking his underside in in warm water to try to get these ice balls off. Um, And if you don't do that, remember also, if your dog is on the the road, and especially if it's a lower, you know, smaller dog, or if it's a dog with these fluffy feet, it's not a bad idea to actually, when you come in, if you're not using some kind of dog boot, which they do have Mutlucks and a lot of other brands, little doggy boots, but it matters because all those chemicals that are melting the snow, and some of them are not good chemicals. Some of them are pet safe, but even the pet safe ones, we don't want the dog ingesting that. So if you don't clean the feed off, then you end up having the dog cleaning his own feed off. And it's not like it's once, it's over and over and over. It could be through a whole winter. And over time, that can change the the blood chemistry and the body chemistry. Plus, it can make the dog's feet more sensitive and more likely to towards like uh, allergies and, and, you know, infections, inflammations and things. So definitely, definitely, definitely make sure you clean up your dog's feet, the underside of the dog's uh, belly, um, and sometimes even kind of cleaning off a little bit, um, you know, in, in not near the urethra because, or the ureter, because you want to make sure that, especially if your dog has a lot of hair down there, right? You want to make sure that it stays clean. Some dogs will clean themselves. um, Some dogs will not. So just make sure because that can also lead to irritation, potential infection, inflammation. So, you know, just make sure that you you got this for your dog. Make sure you take good care of him, that uh, everything that he needs is something that you're able to provide. Okay, so let's keep going down our list. Okay, what are some other things? Well, crazy things like different kinds of leaves and branches. Now, where when you have a heavy snow like this, you have the branches that the dog normally wouldn't be able to reach, let's say on a pine tree or on, uh, you know, on a, on a deciduous tree, maybe they, a branch breaks. Now they're able to eat leaves or they're able to eat the bark. Um, 
or, you know, leaves of like rhododendron or other, you know, azalea, because think about what he's not able to get normally. Now, all of a sudden he is able to get, well, if he's able to get it now, it could be something that was toxic that previously wasn't an issue, but now all of a sudden it is. So be aware that, you know, your dog does potentially have the potential to get into things that we wish they wouldn't get into. Um, another thing is also with if we have a tree down or if you have enough snow and ice, it can bring your uh, fences down. So if you think about like, oh, I put up this great fence for my dog. Well, if a tree comes down or is leaning, it can drop the top of that fence down or break a post. So well, again, walk to make sure, walk around, make sure as best you can that that area hasn't been damaged and do it again once the snow melts because, you know, listen, a lot of things are still hidden by three feet of snow, but it really is important. Uh, Also, for those of you who have dogs who tend to run off during snowstorms or, you know, if they have the opportunity, they they like to uh, get on top of the snowbank. So just imagine if you have a four foot fence, which is totally fine right now for you know, your little, you know, mini Aussie, well, not that it would be normally, but let's say it's an older mini Aussie that is satisfied not running away from a a four foot over a four foot fence. Well, now if we've got three feet of snow, it's not so difficult. If there's a little snow drift, there's a tree maybe that comes down, your dog can actually pop over the top of it, jump away, and now the dog is gone. Now, Granted, not every dog is a, is a flight risk like that, but there are certainly enough of them that are. So we want to make sure that we keep your dog safe, healthy, in your yard, <laughs> contained and clean and free of all kinds of, uh, you know, potential situations that could cost money and worse, could cause, uh, you know, issues with your dog. So I feel like we're covering like all these veterinary things. Let's go through some behavioral things again. We talked briefly about um, the fact that dogs don't necessarily see things the way we do, and not like my friend Temple Grandin, who wrote The Way I See It. Uh, you know, it's it's a little different um, when you are an animal versus a person, even the way our eyes perceive things, like we can see color. Now, dogs do have some cones, so like the rods of your eyes are what gives you your contrast. You're basically your black and white. The cones are for color. So people who have like red, green uh, color blindness, it's it's an issue potentially with your cones of your eyes because they're not seeing things. But dogs, most dogs do have some cones, but very, very limited. So they really don't see color well. They see it maybe at best um, kind of how you would see color at dawn or dusk, more dusk where you can kind of make out a little bit of a shade. So dogs do rely a lot more, um, especially in the dark, they are more alert. Uh, My husband, Captain Wolf, who started uh, the D.A.R.E. program, started several hundred canine units up and down the East Coast, was the renowned expert on uh, service dogs, um, police canine, police uh, narcotics, was phenomenal. Um, he taught me so much uh, during our 30 plus years of marriage and, and four years before. So before that, um, that there's certain things you don't want to do during uh, the nighttime. And there are certain things you don't want to do with a dog during times of storms or stress or fireworks. 
So what would some of those things be? Because right now we've got one of those situations, right? Thinking about how a dog thinks, all right? Think like a dog from now on. I say that all the time. Think like a dog. If you think like a dog, first thing is, if you're thinking in that way, you're not worrying about what's happening tomorrow. You're not worrying about what was in the newspaper this morning. You're not worrying about who's coming by next Thursday at 2. You're living in the moment. Now, when you're living in the moment, and live in the moment is something I've said for, what, 40 years, right? But living in the moment doesn't mean you don't remember the prior moments. It just means that you're not focused on those things. So it's kind of like a potential PTSD trigger. Dogs think right now, where am I? I'm playing right now. I'm, I'm not worrying about things. But when you have repetition and you start getting patterned behaviors, that's when you can start having issues. So first thing is, think like a dog in this moment. Hey, there's snow out there. Okay. The dog runs out and he gets stuck in the snow. And you have to go out there because he's a dachshund and he's, you can't even find him, right? So he's out in the middle there. You grab him. What's the first thing you do, most likely? Oh, my God, I'm so sorry. Are you okay? Okay. And you make a big deal of it, right? You bring him in the house, okay? Make sure he's okay, which you should. And then next time he goes out, he gets stuck in the snow again, maybe. And you go, oh, my God, don't do that. No. And you get mad and you're maybe yelling or you're upset, you're scared, you're frustrated, whatever. And you bring him back in the house. And then you call me because you say, Janice, my dog won't go outside in the snow anymore. Well, gee, I don't know about that, Sherlock Holmes, but um, I think I could figure out a clue of what you did. If something happens to your dog, uh, let's say, for instance, snow falls or a branch falls right near him and he gets afraid. All right. One solitary instance that's a quick one is easier for us to deal with than multiple times when it happens because it becomes a pattern behavior. Now, it doesn't mean that we can't fix it. I can fix pretty much anything, right, unless it's, a, you know, something in the brain like a brain tumor or serious chemical issue. But the idea being, I don't want you to have to call me. I want you to be able to take care of these things on your own. So if something tra traumatic and something scary, let's say, for instance, your dog is out walking and uh, another dog comes after him. Well, obviously, you have to pick the dog up or let's say this, you know, a branch falls. You're going to grab the dog and run with it. But what you want to try to do is three times after that, as long as the dog is healthy, it's not dying, it's not bleeding out, doesn't have an issue, try to recreate that three times with a positive ending. So instead of having the last thing the dog remembers being this traumatic incident of getting attacked or being scared that you were being attacked by another dog, or this branch, take the dog back to the area. If, it, if it's safe, of course, only if it's safe, please don't do something stupid. Um, but if it's safe, and this way what you can start doing is re-educating, re-patterning his behavior. And if you can re-pattern the behavior, then the behavior that or the incident that happened doesn't go into long-term memory the same way or at all. So, a dog goes after your dog at a dog park. First thing I'm going to yell at you, why are you in a dog park? Let's say the dog, you know, your dog is walking with you and you're, you know, just wherever you are and another dog comes flying out and is trying to attack your dog. 
Well, guess what happens? Make sure you get yourself out of there. You know, keep it safe as soon as you can. Put the dog in a similar area as long as the dog isn't bleeding or, or you know, big issues. Um, and then recreate that. And if you can go back the next day and that loose dog you know isn't going to be there now, walk through that same area. Maybe even sit, pet the dog, give him a little massage, rub his ears, let him relax. Go back to that same area if it's safe, obviously. Uh, if it's not safe to do this exercise, you probably shouldn't be walking there again ever um, if you're that worried about a, a bad area. I get that all the time. People say, well, you know, I really wouldn't want to go back to that area. There's always loose dogs. I shake my head. I tilt my head like a little Scottish terrier waiting for a cookie, and I go, and why did you think it was a good idea to go there in the first place? Well, it's never happened before, but you knew it because you already your your radar was up, right? The hackles on or the hair on the back of your neck, which is our hackles, right? The hackles on your back of your neck were going up, were rising and going, oh no, this isn't a good idea. I'm going to do it anyway. And then you know you wind up having to call me as a behaviorist to fix the situation when I can fix it for you right now. If you get a bad feeling, don't do it. If you get a bad feeling, like my father used to call it, the feeling of impending doom. If you get a feeling of impending doom and you say, geez, I just have a bad feeling. You know what? What does it cost you to just not do it? Guess what? Don't do it. Now, that doesn't mean live in fear and live in panic. But for sure, you ought to be uh, at least thinking like, eh. you know, maybe that's not a good idea. Do something else. You can still do something. Go to a different area, whatever. But once you do get that situation where your dog has that bad experience, you do you do need to go back to that area. You should really consider going back to that area, maybe going back with another person there in case there is a problem. At least you have, you know, the, the wherewithal to fix it. But if it was that dangerous of an area and it's just like, oh, self-fulfilling prophecy, I shouldn't have gone there because it was a dumb idea to go there because it's not safe. Well, then don't go back there and you shouldn't have been there in the first place. But what you, what you want to try to do is kind of reenact as if it's a play. Reenact it, even go through and say, okay, you know, Joe, you're going to go with me. Okay, so Joe, um, when we go, if there's another dog there, you're going to do this, you're going to do that, you're going to stand this way, you're going to do that, I'm going to do this. So you know what you're doing. The worst thing you can do is go back and have the same thing happen again. But if, like, if you're looking, um, you know, you have a bunch of trees come down, and you look up and you go, oh, there's some widow makers up there. Well, don't go back there because we don't want you to die. I mean, you shouldn't die because you're stupid, right? Or 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 making a bad choice in that uh, regard. But the idea, again, is just make sure that whatever it is, wherever you go, that it's a situation that's going to be, um, you know, very, you know, like gentle and calm and and a very like copacetic, nice area. And you want to have a good experience and then walk away from that area, walk back to the area, maybe a few minutes later, recreate the experience again. Do the same thing. Take your time. Walk away from the area. Come back to the area. Do the same thing again. Now that you've got those three issues, three times you've reenacted this, you all of a sudden have something very different. And you instead have this great ability now suddenly to create a calm, good, enjoyable situation there instead of having a scary one. 
And that is how you start to repattern the dog's behavior. If something falls in your house and, for instance, you are, um, you know, let's say you're, you're walking around and, and, you know, you have, let's say, new ski poles on the, on the uh, wall leaning up against the wall. Let's say ski poles. And they come crashing down, even not near the dog. Well, there's that sound. So what you want to do, take the dog away. Don't, don't, if the dog is terrified, don't bring him up to the ski poles right away, but don't let him go too far away. Take the ski poles, ignore the dog, play with the ski poles, play with them, play with them, play with them. Put, keep them on the ground, move them, move them a little, move them a lot. Don't look at the dog. Keep playing with those ski poles until the dog finally looks like he's kind of chilling out a little bit and he's coming down a little bit off that, you know, fever pitch. Then put the ski poles just flat out on the ground, leave them there. Walk around, step over the ski poles, please try not to kick them. Walk over the ski poles, walk around the ski poles. You can pick your dog up once he's not afraid anymore and you can walk over the ski poles with him, which would show him that he's above those ski poles and that he is safe because he's with you. The, t- the thing you don't want to do is pick the dog up right away because think about your dog as being in a moment. Think about the dog as being in that moment of panic or fear. If you then pick the dog up, it's not like we would say, oh, you're getting a hug, right? Well, for the dog, it's reinforcing whatever behavior whatever emotion is in him at that moment. So for instance, if the dog is terrified and here you are and you're, you know, picking the dog up, you're reinforcing the fear. You're reinforcing his panic. What I want you to do instead is I want you to look at it in a different way. I want you to look at it as the dog is a behavior. Do you like that behavior? Do you not like the behavior? reinforce the behavior you like. So if a dog, let's say there's something loud that falls and he startles, but then he comes right up to you and he investigates. Well, while he's pet, while he's there, you can pet him or tell him he's a good boy because he was thinking rationally. But you don't want to reinforce or reward, especially with food or, or anything. And you certainly never want to use any kind of punitive uh, you know, damages, punitive um, type punishment, um, negative enforcement for any of these other dogs, because obviously, you know, if somebody's afraid, you're not going to get upset about them being afraid. Instead, you're going to, you know, try to get them through that. And that's really a lot of what we do is reinforcing what we like, not rewarding it, but reinforcing. It's much more powerful than having a cookie or a clicker or, or you know, um, whatever to do that and, and make the dog do it. It's much more, instead of that, uh, strong and long-lasting, turning it into an actual behavior versus a, a bo- changing a body position. If you catch the dog doing what you want and making a fuss and, oh, good boy, good boy. So, for instance, your dog has an accident in the house and what do you do? Well, first thing you do, right, you yell at the dog. So now the dog starts becoming afraid of you. Well, why would you do that? Don't let the dog make the dog be afraid of you. Instead, what you want to do is have that dog be able to know that, hey, that wasn't, you know, that wasn't something that was uh, was good or that was something that was good. 
and you're reinforcing something that he likes. So let's say he's not afraid. Um, and uh, in that moment, you yell because you are afraid. Well, you better fix that because even though the dog wasn't nervous, you were. And just remember, the whole key here is making sure that the dog doesn't see any of these negative behaviors or negative things that happen to him, such as, you know, falling or things blowing over or a bag or anything. He doesn't see it as a permanency. He sees it as, oh, oh, I was okay. And again, make sure that you are providing, protecting your for your dog. Make sure your dog is safe, secure, and happy camper. Um, so we are going to uh, take a break for a few minutes, and then we are going to start with our uh, show from Shelter Dog to Service Dog in a moment. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. And welcome to From Shelter Dog to Service Dog with Janice Wolf. Well, today's show, we're going to be talking about how you continue with your service dog or the dog that you'd like to be a service therapy or companion dog to be a great dog and be the best dog in the world. There's nothing more fun in the entire world than running around and playing with your dog in the snow. But what do you do when your service dog who came from let's say, California or Florida, all of a sudden is up here in New Jersey. Or let's say it's not a service dog or it's a dog you want to train. Remember, a service dog has to be able to handle anything. That dog has to be super confident, super aware of you, and has to want to do that job. The dog has to want to be there for you. So we do have to make sure that our dogs, if we're going to have them as an even therapy dog, which doesn't have a lot of training, but uh, it does have to have some kind of training, make sure that it's not going to be afraid. One of the things that I see, a big oversight that a lot of these lesser organizations do, um, they don't train dogs with other breeds of dogs. Now, with Merlin's Kids, which is our organization, I'm I'm a canine behaviorist, as you guys know, because you've just been listening to me for how many years, and you know what I do. What we do is we make sure that dogs are familiar with everything. And the more limited you are in your training, the more chance you're going to have of having a dog who is not going to be a legit service dog. So a service dog obviously has to be task training. We know that, right? The two questions the ADA allows to be asked. And right now I'm fighting with two different schools in two different states. It was a lot more than that, but now people are starting to get smart. The ADA, can you can only ask two questions, right? Is this a service dog required because of a disability? Or is this dog required because of a disability? Right. Second question is what? What task or job has a dog been trained to perform? Okay. So they cannot ask you to perform that task. They cannot ask you why do you need a service dog. Hey, what's wrong with you? What do you need a service dog for? I don't know. Well, what's wrong with you? Your parents never taught you manners? I don't know. We have a joke about that. Um, But I'll leave that for our internal people because it's really funny. Um, But training service rats 
or training service dogs requires the same thing. Your service rat or your service dog, which obviously we have a joke there, uh, but your service dog has to be individually task trained. Now, I've seen a lot of dogs come from different organizations that, uh, you know, I'll leave, I'll leave names out because we don't do that here, but where you'll have a dog who they'll say, oh, yeah, well, you know, my autistic son, you know, pets the dog when he doesn't feel well. That is not a job or a task that is listed because it's not mitigating a disability. It has to be an active task that the dog does. Uh, our dogs at Merlin's Kids do it all automatically. So unless it's a specific need for it, which we have what we call manual override, you're pretty much, pretty much, your dog, service dog, should be doing things automatically. Just imagine if you have a child, uh, a six-year-old boy with autism who uh, runs off and he's a big elopement risk. So let's say he decides he's going to go take off across the street. Well, if for whatever reason, you have not taught this dog or the agency was not reputable. And what are you going to do? Have the dog, uh, the, the six-year-old nonverbal autistic child going to say, excuse me, Fido, but right now I'm looking at things and I'm thinking, gee, I'd like to elope across the street. Can you please prevent me? No, 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 from running across the street. Well, gee, that's not happening, is it? So it should be automatic and not to be facetious or silly. But, yeah, I've seen this all together too often. Even from some agencies, I would have uh, expected much better for from that. Um, so a dog has to be able to deal with everything and anything. It has to be able to go on a plane. It has to be able to go, um, you know, on a train, on a bus. Uh, in and out of doors, in and out of revolving doors, potentially, even though they can be difficult. Um, and escalators, we don't allow our dogs on escalators because we have Rhodesian Ridgebacks and some larger dogs that those toenails would very easily get caught on an escalator. You have to teach the dog very carefully, and it's just not worth it. I've seen that happen several times with people's dogs, getting their toenails stuck in an escalator Um you know, when you go to get off and the dog, one of them, the dog almost lost its entire leg. It was basically disgusting and the all the skin and the toenails and piece of the foot kind of came off and it got stuck in there. So I will never do that again. Elevators, though, for sure, have to be um, something that you get the dog used to. And those are always fun. The first or second time that dogs on the escalator, they uh, they very often do like a crouch position because it's moving up and down, which is not anything that is a normal feeling for them. So you do have to take them in and out of escalators, up uh, elevators, up and down stairs, um, open back stairs, stairs that don't have fully closed in because it looks weird to a dog. Get down on your hands and knees and look at what your dog is going to be looking at, and you'll see how important it is. Even different types of flooring, you've got to take that dog. In, on marble flooring, you've got to take them on shiny flooring, you've got to take them on sandpapery floors. You never know, or that diamond uh, kind of, uh, like they put on the, the, the truck beds and such. You've got to get them used to everything. So one of the things you have to do is get your dog used to other animals. The fact that you don't have horses or goats at your house doesn't mean that your dog, or especially if you're from an agency, you better darn well train your your uh, dogs that are going to go with people 
you never know if a kid's going to take that dog away to summer camp. Because most of our dogs have been, um, well, actually, almost probably almost all of them have been on planes um, beforehand, but they've certainly all been on after that fact. Um, take your ch- the dog on, uh, like we go up and down the slide. You don't know where that child's going to need to go or where that adult's going to need to go. So one of the most common things that I see people do all the time is they place a dog that's not even passable. I mean, we wouldn't even, uh, Merlin's kids, we wouldn't even for in a, in a million years have those dogs even. They would have failed out in the first month. But there are people and there are little tiny agencies and there's some that just don't do a great job and you have to really be careful. Um, and there's a lot of jealousy. There's a lot of people who, uh, you know, try to hurt somebody else by doing something bad, even that wasn't warranted and all those things, they happen. But when you see a service dog agency that has stellar service dogs and you can't find one single complaint in a thousand uh, people who've received dogs from that organization, you know, they're pretty good darn organization. But what happens, why are we so good at what we do? And why do I want to give you guys all this information so you can make your dog good like ours are, what what you have to do is, especially with other dogs and other animals, you have to make sure your dog isn't going to be chasing squirrels. You make sure that dog isn't going to be chasing cats. Make sure that that dog isn't going to be confrontational. If another dog goes to attack it, you don't want it to attack back. It's a whole lot easier to let your dog just, you know, do what it does um, than to have uh, a dog attack back. Because if the dog attacks back, now all of a sudden you've got a dog fight. We don't want a dog fight. We want your dog to ignore it and walk away like Savannah, Wyatt, Wispa, all my service dogs, Bruiser even, have all been attacked by fake service dogs or, or not even fake, unfortunately, poorly trained or ill-trained or not at all trained service dogs, yes, from agencies, and I'm not mentioning names. So you don't want your dog to go back after the other dog because taking one dog off of another is a whole lot easier to do when you know your dog's not going to bite also than it is to have a two two giant dogs uh, with in the middle of a dog fight. You don't want the dog to fight back. So you do have to be very aware, obviously, especially when the dogs are younger or when they're learning. And you do have to teach the people receiving those dogs what to do in case something happens. Hey, there's a, a loose dog running at my dog. What do I do? Guess what? Uh, if you take our classes, you learn from what we do at Merlin's Kids, you will learn exactly what to do. And it works and it's crazy, but it does. It works amazingly well so that we don't blow out or burn up a service dog because it got attacked by another dog. So things like getting your dog used to other breeds of dogs, other combinations of dogs. Um, I had a friend who used to breed Bedlington Terriers. Go look that up. It's because most people have no clue. Bedlington, B-E-D-L-I-N-G-T-O-N, Bedlington Terrier. You look at those things. Look, and you tell me when you look at one of them, you tell me what that looks like, okay? And that's why they were actually bred to look a certain way to blend in. So, you know, you look at that and you say, well, gee, my dog might not know that was even a dog. Or look at a brachiocephalic dog, like a pug, or, or even bulldogs. And dogs who breathe funny, bulldogs, a lot of the brachiocephalics, they sound like they're growling. They're just walking, trying to breathe because God didn't make them like that. Breeders made them like 
brachiocephalic and not able to, <laughs> to breathe on, on a normal day, let alone in, in heat or um, high humidity or uh, high altitude. But the, the sounds that these dogs make can be misinterpreted by a lot of dogs as being growling or being aggressive. So get your dog used to all of the, the different smells, the different sounds. Every dog smells different. Like every person smells different. Every species of animal smells differently. So you really want to get the dog used to pretty much everything so that when the dog is uh, out in public, it's going to be this beautiful, wonderful, um, you know, beautiful experience instead of, you know, what's going on now where, you know, everybody's looking at things and saying, oh my gosh, you know, the dog, you know, my dog is in an airport and it's now it's growling at somebody. And, you know, it's, it's just kind of a sad thing when you start seeing uh, people who could have done better and just didn't because they didn't know better. So the goal is make sure your dog is comfortable around small children doesn't have to be great with small children but I've been at airports plenty of times where little kids and the one was in uh, Kennedy Airport when I was picking up Veronica and if she's listening she'll know who I'm talking about uh, who I love more than anything in the whole world and think of every single day but I remember I was picking her up and a woman from I guess I don't know what country but obviously not from America um, she had um, a little kid, and her little kid was with her, and I see her pointing at Wyatt to, uh, you know, and, and letting, it must have been whatever language, was telling uh, her little child to go over and pet the dog or to hug the dog or whatever she said, and this little child comes flying over, um, toddling over with his arms outstretched like he's going to go give him a hug, and what does he do? Sure enough puts his arms right around Wyatt as I'm using Wyatt. Now, at that point, it wasn't the, ma'am, please don't pet my dog or let your child run at my dog in an aggressive fashion. I didn't have to worry about that. You know why? Because my dogs are used to it. Every one of our dogs at Merlin's Kids is used to that. And why are they used to it? Because I can't bomb-proof your child. I can't dog-proof your child, but I can child-proof my dog. And it's something that is really, really important for everybody to be able to be aware that once you get that situation where the dog is, um, you know, basically, for lack of a better word, uh, is bomb-proof or child-proof, you also have to make sure that the dog is dog-proof. So it's not just the reaction to, you know, your local, you know, dog um, or an aggressive dog that's trying to hurt your dog. It's actually getting your dog to be non-reactive because he's familiar with everything. That's why it takes us at Merlin's Kids roughly, you know, 1,500 to 2,000 hours of training. And part of the training is just getting the dogs used to other dogs, getting them used to the fact that it's okay for another dog to be in their space. Uh, we'll put, we call it the clown car, we'll put seven or eight service dogs in the back of a Suburban with their handlers and drive, you know, a couple of hours. And those dogs have to know that it's not their job to growl at somebody who goes near them. It's not their job to, you know, complain about not wanting to be there or you can't sit next to me. It's, it's in, we're in charge. It's 
very, very important. And it is something that I find a lot of uh, other people who try to train service dogs or even don't give the instruction to their recipients. And it's a very easy way to burn up or blow out the dog um, and get the dog who would have been a success story. Uh, suddenly the dog is, you know, inappropriate to to have as a service dog now. And you know what happens again? We run out of time because we always seem to run out of time. Um, and I hope that, uh, you know, we'll be able to spend more time in the coming weeks. Um, I'm also going to be starting another uh, show, which I th- I'm really excited about. Um, I will talk about it next week, but it's a very exciting show, and we're going to ask for everybody to uh, refer people who might be in this situation uh, to us, and it's going to be a great way to help people and to have them be heard. So hope everybody has a fantastic, wonderful, safe week till we talk to you again next week. Hope the snow was uh, was a good thing for you. I hope you'll think differently now about what we talked about earlier with other things with dogs and, and injuries potentially. And hopefully your dog will be happier and healthier being home stuck with you uh, because of the snow and because of this COVID. And you'll continue to enjoy everything um, and have good health. Be safe, be happy, be honest, be truthful, be powerful. God bless. Talk to you all next week. 